0: Hello and welcome to Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack. This time I'll be speaking with one of the authors of a new research paper titled Breaching the Blue Wall, Could Tactical Voting Help England's Progressive Parties Defeat the Conservatives? That's Alan Wager, who wrote it along with Aaron Chung and a previous popular podcast guest, Tim Bale. So welcome to the show, Alan. Hi, Mark. Good to be here. I think Tim has been two of my three most popular podcast episodes ever. I think, I remember rightly, have featured your co-author, Tim. So no pressure, Alan, no pressure. I know it's a popular podcast for political scientists. My friend Paula Surridge has been on it a few times <laughs> yeah, as well. absolutely. Let's start with, if I may, actually with the word progressive in the title of your research paper, because I suspect the blood pressure of a few listeners will have already risen on you <laughs> to that. And I know, in fairness, you put the word progressive in quote marks in the title of the paper. But what, what is it that you mean when you're talking about whether tactical voting could help England's progressive parties, who's who is it that you've got in mind?
1: Yeah, well, when we're talking about the interaction between uh, political parties, you know, as we're well as sort of political scientists, we're partly to thinking about things like who would form the next government, and I mean, it's increasingly, it seems increasingly clear that, that that the Conservative Party have sort of run out of coalition partners, if you like, and that mean and that means that it does make sense to think about the other political parties as a as not one party, not one sort of unit, but as a sort of potential block, as a di- different alternative government, and then you can use all sorts of words for that. I mean, progressive is one extremely problematic potential, potentially way of describing it. But also, you know, on things like opposition to the government, the government on things like corruption, there is there is there is what seems to be an increasing synergy in some aspects of of the party. So that so that means that means that you sort of. Thinking about how voters perceive the interaction between these parties is also sort of really, really important too, and that's, <laughs> that leads to words that, as always for over a century, led to words like like progressive to describe voters that are that are, that are likely to be hospitable to, to voting for any party that's not that's not the conservative. So, I suppose the other way of putting it would be would uh, be to what extent would would anti conservative tactical voting
0: uh, uh, be so it's it a sort of, sort of progressive, if you like. And, and I guess just digressing for a moment before we even really get into your paper, but that sense of the Conservatives having run out of coalition partners, I think is sort of almost underappreciated at the moment that we quite often talk in British politics, partly influenced by US politics, about <coughs> factors which maybe benefit the Conservatives around things like how the boundaries are drawn, vote distribution and so on. But I think there is now this factor which is different from 20 very different from 2010 but also different from 2017 you know the last two elections we've had that have turned up hung parliaments that it's really hard to see unless something dramatic happens in northern ireland that patches things up with the dup it's really hard to see who the conservatives partners would be in a hung parliament and in that sense the winning post for uh non-conservative parties is that much lower because you know, in in the twenty ten environment, labor not having more MPs than the Tories was a significant impediment to them staying in power. After the next election, that's much less of a factor, most likely, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so so I mean, one of the big advantages for the Conservatives in the last election, the sort of structural advantages, if you like, is that they were able to unite the uh, Leave vote or whatever, if you like, the the, the right wing vote under one under one umbrella under one party, whereas. Other votes were more on, uh, on, on the issue of brexit particularly were more were spread moving across political parties that, that's a big advantage for the Conservative but it has it has a flip side which means that if, in any hung Parliament situation they don't have any other parties to to cooperate with and that means that the, that the, the calculations about about how, how how Boris Johnson or his successor or anyone else might be able to stay in numbers after the next election are more complicated than they were for, well, in well, a way less complicated than they were for David Cameron or even for Theresa May. And that, I think, yes, I think, I, think, I think you're right. That's an underappreciated aspect of, of British politics
0: and of the current sort of state of the parties, if you like. Yeah, and obviously all of this becomes moot if uh, the Conservatives have a majority after the next election. So let's turn to what your paper sort of looks at and particularly the potential role of tactical voting. Maybe we should just start with just a quick summary of what what your paper's main findings are.
1: Yeah, so the the main findings of the paper is is that there is a significant potential for the Liberal Democrats to benefit from from tactical voting in a range of, of seats in England, and that the Liberal Democrats disproportionately benefit, are likely to benefit from... The electoral geography of the UK, which means there's a lot of places where the Liberal Democrats are in second place, and where there is a, a, a potential squeeze message possible on Labour voters, and unleashed the bar charts. Excellent, <laughs> <laughs> and and where they are increasingly, I and mean, when there's an increasingly clear uh, um, delineation of responsibility, if you like. Between Mm. the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats, if you're looking to attract sort of tactical votes. And that's a key element of of this, is that potentially the electoral geography, which was really actually pretty difficult Mm. after the 2017 election for the Liberal Democrats and for those parties that were trying to unite the Remain vote, that is a lot less difficult now. And it's a lot clearer for for voters. The signalling is a lot clearer for voters.
0: And that's a really important thing for and thinking about how that might play out in, in, in any contest. And certainly my impression, I think both from looking at the results of 2019, but also research such as yours, is that, as you say, that tactical vote choice in in different constituencies, by and large, is going to be a lot clearer at the next election than it was at the last one. But there are definitely will be some seats where... You know, say both Labour and Lib Dems argue, "No, you know, we're the best place to beat the Tories here. But the number of those seems to be much smaller. And I think that matters not just for the decisions people in Party HQ make, but also for the enthusiasm of volunteers and where they choose to go. So I think if you saw in 2019... At least from a Lib Dem perspective, one thing you particularly saw was Labour activists fired up to go and campaign in seats where they basically ended up helping the Tories get re-elected because they thought they could. And in fairness to some of the people in Labour HQ, I think quite often that was a phenomena that was as much driven by grassroots enthusiasm as any you know attempted central direction so i think on both fronts it feels like and maybe this is just me wishing the truth to be what well, you know but it does feel like it's a much more promising territory for effective anti-tory tactical campaigning and tactical voting next time round.
1: yeah i mean the constituencies that were most you know that, that featured most heavily in coverage of tactical voting were actually exceptions to the rule places like cities who City of London and Westminster and places like Kensington are really quite different to the vast majority of seats where, 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 where there is a sort of progressive majority of voters. I mean, that, and, that's, and that's the sort of the really, the really striking thing is that we produced this, this sort of graph where I know, there's basically very, very few voters, very, very few places where there is a latent sort of majority for parties that are anti-conservative, if you like, uh, and and also and also, uh, you know, and, and also that where, where there is competition between where there's clear competition between Labour and the Liberal Democrats. And again, you know, going back to, you know, 2010 and, you know, 2005, 2001, that really wasn't the case. I mean, I think it's easy to easy to forget that the that the that, that the um, that the interaction between, you know, these opposition parties now
0: is, 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 is very, really, very different to what it was a decade ago. So in a way, that sounds a relatively promising picture for the Lib Dems. And although I note you're wearing a a Lib Dem-coloured top today, very appropriate for this (laughs) recording, obviously one of the advantages of people in political parties listening to outside experts like yourself is that you can help throw cold water on over-enthusiastic interpretations. Um, So is there... What's the less good bit? What What are the less promising bits of this picture that people in the Lib Dems or indeed other non-conservative parties should bear in mind so we just don't get swept away with this idea, hooray, the Tories are going to lose?
1: Well, one of, one of the aspects of it that's 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 more difficult than the Liberal Democrats is that the the when comparing to the Red Wall, the movement of voters over time Away from Labour towards the Conservatives, for example, was happening before Brexit, was happening mm. in 2005, 2010, 2015. I mean, and and for the Liberal Democrats, you know, some of the some of the movements towards them in these places, in the in the blue wall, if you like, were more sudden mm. and then potentially were more contingent on Brexit. We don't know for sure. I think I think I think the evidence we have so far from this Parliament suggests that they weren't contingent on Brexit still being, you know, live, whether or not Brexit happens, because we've seen further sort of geographical realignment along these lines. But, you know, it's possible that Brexit is... An, it, 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 the, 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 the decline and salience, if you like, of Brexit could could mean that these places are less less likely to, to, to continue to move
0: towards Liberal Democrats. And yeah, so- and, and I, I mean, I like the blue wall phrase because it encapsulates, yeah, a whole load of things in just two words and in a way that, for example, the media can relate to. But it is as you say i think the, the blue wall is very different from the red wall that the key insight you know when james kanagoshi originally came up with the concept was that here is a group of seats which if you look at them on every criteria other than votes at, you know votes in the ballot box should be fairly favourable territory for the Conservatives and a shifting the Conservative direction and yet that hadn't translated really into election results, election outcomes at least, and therefore that there was a brittleness to that apparent Labour lock on lots of areas. I think the Blue Wall story, as you say, isn't one about oh, these are loads of places that in, in a sense should have been Lib Dems 20 years ago and it's just you know that there's a cultural thing that's holding, holding the back. I think the Blue Wall is much more, uh, this is just area that is good potential for a party like like mine to grow but but I I guess the flip side of that is that in a way because the red wall and the blue wall challenges from a conservative perspective are therefore so different they're two quite different political battlegrounds if you can pull off winning in both as the tories did in 2019 brilliant from their perspective you get a huge majority but it's really, that's a really hard trick to pull off to win two such different political battles at the same time, isn't it? And so there's a real brittleness to that, the size of that Tory majority, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I, and actually, I mean, I, I think the James Kiddick's insight that, these, that the Red Wall was sort of... Culturally apart from the from from other areas that, that that have voted conservative was really important. But that's not to say that actually we're not seeing a, a quite a sudden cultural movement in these blue wall places that is alike to that. So you've got a, you've got a situation where actually in quite quite quickly, particularly for example, as play, as uh, as we see, and I saw there was, there was a blog in the LS, on the LSE uh, review blog yesterday talking about the the drift, the demographic drift out drift out of London. Mm. I mean, things like this are going to be uh, long-term structural factors that will that will increasingly mean that there potentially is some is quite a, an, a, an anomaly in the way that these places are conservative despite their
0: demographic characteristics. So we yeah. could, and, and I so noticed that can, in uh, Cheshire in uh, and Amersham. That although the ethnic minority community in that constituency was is relatively small, and hence it wasn't a big part of the political story, nonetheless you could see that there has been that growth of particularly an Asian community in that constituency that essentially is migrating northwest out of London. If you look at the long-term demographic trends, there is a move, you know, a move up up northwest, as it were, through Cheshire and Amersham. And it, it looks like I guess those trends will continue further up. Uh, well, as well, and and that's. But those sorts of well, those sorts of trends are quite slow moving in many ways. Yeah, culture can nonetheless change very quickly. Kind of, I'm very struck how same-sex marriage, which is obviously the touchstone issue, Lib Dems like talking about, but the switch in public opinion from it being a sort of controversial fringe issue 20 years ago. To it, you know, having overwhelming majority support now, mm. it, yeah, it, it, it's not just about generation shifting. Actually, people themselves do sometimes change their views on 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 cultural issues. And I guess what we, what is a complete unknown at the moment is post Brexit referendum, quite how quickly or slowly those long term trends will play out. No,
1: absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and another thing to think about when thinking about all this, all this. Blue Wall stuff in the context of, for example, what we're about to see is sort of potentially a string of, of by-elections, some of which you would say are in the Blue Wall potentially, We're thinking about a potential by-election in Windsor, some of which certainly wouldn't fall into any, any fair categorisation of, of Blue Wall, but are already being discussed as, uh, as Blue Wall places, is whether or not a, a, a sort of really wide definition of Blue Wall that isn't very useful for political scientists or analysts could still be politically useful for the liberal democrats or potentially a problem for the liberal democrats you know if places like old Bexley and Sidcup are characterized as blue wall does that increase the expectations beyond anything that's realistic given the given their demographics or does it a, a, a political narrative and a media narrative around these places that is potentially favorable to the, liberal, to the liberal democrats and and makes it and makes it easier to to sort of create a political
0: competition in these places i think that's a really that's a really interesting question. I don't, know whether you, I don't know whether you... It's not giving away any secrets to point out that Ed Davies' first by-election campaign visit of the, this current clutch of by-elections was to North Shropshire. And I think that is will be a particularly interesting test, that by-election, because North Shropshire, in many ways, is not really blue-wall territory, but in other ways, actually, is blue-wall territory. You know, you can, you can argue it either way, you know, fundamentally... It is the sort of traditionally Tory area that if you look at things like the council election results this May, that is very vulnerable to a Lib Dem challenge. I think it was a six, there were six marginal council wards that the Tories just beat the Lib Dems in, in this this set of May elections in the constituency. So it's in that sense, that Tory grip is very brittle. Um, And 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 this this by-election will give a good test of whether, you know, a very narrow purist blue wall definition that leans very heavily on geography and remain vote is the right one to think about or actually if there is a broader picture to think about and obviously I'm hoping that it will be the broader picture but but I think for people like yourselves the result will be quite significant as well therefore
1: yeah I mean and the Liberal Democrats have uh, have uh, have obviously a non-conformist you know rural tradition in part and that was obviously in the southwest a lot of that a lot of that tradition but but I mean but obviously brexit interlinks a lot of these things like rural issues mm-hmm. that are you know re- that are causing real a real headache in real real big real problems in places like northshire i mean for example for example you know things like the the slaughter of pigs i mean that that has left the the news agenda but it's still actually a a reality the the the, the policy problem hasn't actually been solved stuff like the sewage issues that you know these are all problems that are that that are Brexit-related, disproportionately rural issues, and where you could see some movement back towards the Liberal Democrats being able to pick up voters who are annoyed about the mm-hmm. about the about the direction of the government and the sort of status quo, if you like. Not to say none of the above party, but that but that was yeah. sort of, that's that's a potential. Potential, a potential, a potentially important string in the string in the bow of the Liberal Democrats that it would be useful to sort of regain, if you like, after the yeah. coalition years. And
0: and I guess that's where all of the Owen Pattinson and related sort of scandals I think is so dangerous for the Conservatives because what has really propped up their support so far in this Parliament. Is the widespread view amongst voters, which I very much disagree with, but one has to acknowledge, is there amongst lots of voters that Boris Johnson is sort of, you know, has been sort of trying his best to deal with coronavirus? The Times Red Box focus groups this comes through really clearly. The number of people who, frustratingly and wrongly, from my perspective, in a way, give Boris Johnson the, you know, that you know, the, 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 they say, well, look, you know, every all the com- all countries around the world are struggling. yet you know, let's give him. Let's give him a, a a reasonable wide berth of 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 support because you know it's not easy you know struggling with with a worldwide epidemic, but the Owen Pattinson, and then you know some of the other stories <laughs> that have come to light since well that all paints a very different picture. That's not people that risks painting the picture of okay these aren't people struggling to do their best in difficult circumstances. It, that then becomes these are people who don't care about me, don't care, about, you know, and are in it for themselves. And that I think is really potent when people, when voters no longer think politicians are struggling on their behalf.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, what uh, one of the elements of our paper that, uh, and this speaks to something you were talking about earlier, is places where it's clearer that voting for Liberal Democrats is the best anti conservative vote and are within a uh, a significant but not impossible swing from from conservative to the Liberal Democrats actually opens up that, those two those two ingredients opens up a sort of another over over a dozen constituencies that 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 are, that are really ones to look out for if if the Conservative Party are going to be in trouble at the next election and those are places that actually might be quite surprising to some people places like Whitney the former constituency of David Cameron and you know and and Henley, where Boris Johnson represented. These are places that would be you know big stretch targets for the Liberal Democrats, but would certainly, if you're looking at a, if you're looking at particularly voters that are high interest voters, for example, particularly voters that maybe are are graduates and so on in these constituencies. There is there really is the ingredients for for for, for some political surprises in in some of these places that you might think were were pretty were pretty were pretty out of reach for opposition parties, and that's why there really is sort of a sort of uh, a similarity with with the red wall in that sense is, you, is is that is that these things could happen slowly and then actually quite suddenly once you see a if you see as you say a a big sort of just 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 uh, feeling that that the, that it's time to for a change of government that's that's the that's the sort of secret ingredient so both both increased tactical voting that's you know that's certainly potentially part of 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 the picture for for opposition parties but i think we can't lose sight of the fact that that it's that that it's really an anti-conservative swing or a swing from 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 away from the conservative party that will be the 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 main ingredient for 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 the liberal democrats and for other opposition parties and
0: and i think the Jeremy Corbyn and the absence of Jeremy Corbyn next time around is a really big factor in that respect, that one of the things that really propped up the Conservative vote in 2019 was Tory voters who were amenable to being persuaded to vote Lib Dem yeah. when it came to the crunch, thinking there's no way I can, I want to stomach the idea that Jeremy Corbyn might become Prime Minister and therefore the best way. To ensure he doesn't become Prime Minister is to re-elect the Conservative MP in my constituency. That was, I think, a very powerful argument for a lot of people. And I think the, the absence of that and how much of an impact it will have, we probably won't know until the actual election results are in, because a lot of those last minute you know, those decisions are made relatively late in the campaign. But it certainly looks like Keir Starmer is in that sense in a completely different league from Jeremy Corbyn, isn't he? That there is that, you know. You you don't vote Lib Dem because you might let Keir Starmer in, just feels like it's going to be a much much weaker argument than the don't vote Lib Dem because you might let Jeremy Corbyn in.
1: Yeah, and that's where you, and that's where it's difficult to really know when we see these opinion polls how seriously to take the the vote share that is shared amongst mm-hmm. the Labour Party, the Green Party, and the Liberal Democrats because actually you could see it as you know broadly. Quite positive news, just just an increase in the in the block of voters that say they won't vote for the Conservative Party and might say now they will vote for the Labour Party. That create and and the, and and the and the rise in support we've seen recently in the Green Party. Mm. I mean, on one level, you could say that that's you know those those voters aren't necessarily saying moving to the Liberal Democrats. that you're, you're hovering in and around sort of ten percent in the polls still, mm. but. It creates an increasing pool of voters who are who will countenance voting in a tactical way against the Conservative Party, and that and that and that creates a, a wider pool of voters that you can target in your in the constituencies that you're most likely to to win. I mean, you, and th- this is this is this is this is I think an under underappreciated aspect of the of the of the opinion polling at the moment is actually maybe it makes more sense not to try and think about. The headline vote numbers but all, but but broadly looking most closely at at the at the vote share of the of the late of the conservative party and and the, and the lower that falls the the the
0: the more the more opportunities there are for for mm. for the other parties to to, to possibly just before you were saying that i was just reaching for my table of the latest opinion polls from each pollster because i was thinking exactly the same point and at the time of recording, if you look at the nine main pollsters, you know, mainstream pollsters who have had voting intention polls published in the last few weeks in the UK, seven of the nine put the Tories on under 40%, and the other two put them on 40%. And that you know that only has to fall another couple of points to be in the territory where you think that's a real struggle for the Conservatives to get a majority based on that. And, and I think that's different from what we've seen in the past in some periods where the Tories have you know their headline lead may have fallen but but you still then say well actually look the underlying vote share is still one that should you know will almost certainly get them re-elected this is this is looking much more brittle isn't it
1: yeah and polls just find it harder to deal with smaller parties they can't account fully uh, or really for 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 tactical the tactical voting so I suppose I suppose I, I was saying to Liberal Democrats actually, yeah, the, potentially the most the most important figure for you is 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 whether that conservative vote share continues to, to continues to to fall. That's actually probably the best and cleanest barometer hmm. and easiest barometer to judge and 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 measure the, the the the
0: likelihood of 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 the conservatives getting getting into some serious trouble yeah. pretty soon. Yeah, and, and I think that highlights as well this issue that there are many things that can be said around progressive alliance type debates but I think one thing in particular that's relevant to what we're discussing is how important you know the conservative Lib Dem swing voters or the conservative Labour swing voters depending which seats you're thinking about are and that one of the risks with people getting too fixated on progressive alliance type conversations is that you end up using them almost as an alternative as a sort of perceived soft option because oh it's easier to talk about isn't it awful that party x is standing a at, as opposed to the hard graft of actually thinking about how to persuade conservatives to vote for you and i think in in i think that's a particular problem in the labour party because there's such a strong strain of labour party culture that essentially disdains the idea that yeah. there might be conservatives that you share some values with and might wish to, you know, win them over to voting Labour. I think in the Lib Dems, there's much more of a willingness to embrace the idea of, of worrying about how to win over Tories. But even in the Lib Dems, for example, I mean, one of the most popular media outlets for Lib Dem Tory swing voters is the Daily Mail, you'd have to hunt very hard to find a Lib Dem activist who reads the Daily Mail. (laughs) Um, And so, so I think even, you know, even in my own party, we should be mindful of that, of that gap. But it does seem to me those swing voters are, you know, you can't ignore them. This isn't just about tactical voting, is it? No, 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 no.
1: I mean, the question is actually whether or not, well, a question is whether or not uh, it's actually more beneficial to have separate parties to attract particular voters in particular areas. Again, you know, Thinking about the the flip side of the structural advantage the conservative hat conservatives have in being being one one party, is is the ability for opposition parties to 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 be able to target places that, uh, with particular parties that are where they're most likely to be successful. For example, as you say, in North Shropshire, the underlying uh, data and the and the trend the trends from the political parties mm. show that the show that the Liberal Democrats are probably. A structurally better place in the Labour Party, whereas in elsewhere in 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 the Cup, it's the Labour Party and the ability of parties to to where to to target the places where they're but where they're most likely to be successful is is something that the Conservative Party can't do. I think that, I think maybe that's that's you know that's an underappreciated that would be an underappreciate you know that would be an underappreciated loss for for people that if, if, you, if there was any sort of progressive alliance, if you like.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's a very classical analogy with the commercial world in that sense, isn't there? That it's very normal for companies to have different product lines or different brands that are aimed at different points in the market. And -hmm. although, you know, the analogy doesn't work perfectly for politics, I think it, it does seem to me there are definitely some voters that the Lib Dems can reach that Labour would really struggle to reach. And actually, conversely, you know, if you look at some of the very heavily Lee voting areas of the country. There are some where the Lib Dems have had huge success at council election level. Sunderland would be a really good example. But I think there are others where it's definitely a much tougher job to persuade an unhappy Tory to vote Lib Dem than than it might be for a Labour person to try to persuade them to vote Labour. And I think, you know, it's sensible to reflect that in different parties' approaches, that, you know, different parties have got different strengths in different in different places, but I, I, you know, for the Lib Dems, obviously this blue wall area is particularly important for the next Westminster election. But I know you and 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 Tim and others have sort of previously used the phrase yellow halo, which didn't quite catch on in the way that blue wall has. <laughs> I just wondered when you 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 did start looking at this yellow halo idea long before the blue wall phrase was coined. Is uh, is it is is it really just same terminology for? Sorry, different terminology for roughly the same bit of the country and the same idea, or are there some real differences between how you've sort of thought about the yellow halo and how people like me now talk about the blue wall?
1: Oh no, yeah, I've had a bit of a joke with this about James. Yeah, they're with James. They're basically the same. They're basically the same. They're basically the same. The the same content. I mean, I suppose, I suppose that I, I prefer the blue, the blue halo in a sense because it does give. A, a, a tighter geographical definition in that we're talking about a range of seats that stretch from Oxfordshire and Cambridgeshire to, to just to west of London and just around London where 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 not just the demographics but also the shifting demographics over time are are more likely to be beneficial to to the liberal democrats and so so yeah so so the, the places that we've that we highlighted in that in that in that report were places where actually also where you know, it's fair to say it's been a sort of a tough decade for, for the Liberal Democrats in and out of government, electorally after being in and out of government. But we're actually in many of these places, you're in a, you're in a better position than 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 you were back in two thousand back in two thousand and ten. So it's a so it's also looking a bit at the a bit at the a bit at the history of these places to show you that that there's there are and these are places of a, a relative a relative strength in the last decade. I think that's that's important when thinking about some of the some of the sort of organizational elements of, of targeting these places. And also I think the I think trying to get a tighter geographical grip on, on where the Liberal Democrats might do well is important because I think that, I think it was um gosh I can't remember I can't remember the, the name. Rallings and Rallings and Thrasher and Danny Brawling mm-hmm. back in the in the 90s they came up came up with this idea of the the epidemiology of the of the Lib Dem vote. This was long before epidemiology became
0: uh, uh, a part of you know, before we all became <laughs> expert epidemiologists, yeah.
1: This idea that there, there is that, that, that voting Lib Dem can catch on, yeah, and 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 can go from ward to ward and from constituency to constituency to constituency is is, is really important, and, th- and that's why the geographical concentration of the places where there's a high number of graduates mm-hmm. and so on, and where there's a potential Lib Dem core vote, is is really important, and that contrasts with the places that might. Where 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 Labour are best placed. So, so that's the distinction between between these these high graduate high remain areas for the Liberal Democrats and 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 for and for Keir
0: Starmer's Labour Party. And I think the other key thing for the Lib Dems in all of that is that if there is a hung parliament, the more disparate your support is, the harder it is to do anything in a hung parliament that doesn't shatter your support base. You know, and the point I always make about the 2010 to 15 Parliament is for all the post-mortem that can rightly be done about what was done during that Parliament, the fundamental Lib Dem problem was our the people who voted for us in 2010 were just so disparate. There was a huge chunk who didn't want the Tories, a huge chunk who didn't want Labour, and a huge chunk who were basically anti-politics. And if you've got, and only a relatively small chunk, who are positively pro-Lib Dem. And so whatever we had, we did in that parliament, I mean, it might have ended in a disaster rather than in a catastrophe, but it's really hard to see how it could have ended well because of the disparate nature of that support. I think you know, the potential advantage of the sort of blue wall way in which Westminster politics is playing out for the Lib Dems is it you can see a route to having more MPs, a hung parliament, and enough homogeneity in that Lib Dem support to then, obviously, it will still be possible to screw up. <laughs> but for it, for there to be a plausible route as well, though, that wouldn't involve, ne- you know, automatically shattering your support.
1: Yeah, I think that's become even more important given that you know political geography has become part of the sort of currency of debate for political commentators and stuff with these blue with the things like the red wall uh, and with and with the you know the fracturing of, of British politics more generally. The ability of, 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 of people to say, you know, you've sold out X place and, and Y place, that's, a, that's, that's potentially a big, bigger sort of, an, an even bigger problem than, than potentially it was 2010, 2015, because it's become part of the way that people in Westminster, you know, talk about, talk about British politics. I think that's potentially, as you say, a really, a really important factor when thinking about how, you know, Lib Dems could enter government again.
0: Yeah, now that that is re- really fascinating to get your insight on all of those things. Just before we wrap up, I guess thinking about all of that in a non-partisan way, of course, given that given your role, although you are wearing a Lib Dem, it's quite you my car,
1: yeah. um,
0: <laughs> if you were to give one piece of advice to the Lib Dems based on your research, and I'll obviously include a link to the pamphlet in the show notes so people can can read it and digest the fascinating graphs themselves. But if you were to give 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 my party one piece of advice, what would it be? I
1: think uh, it's well. It's difficult to give Lib Dem's advice on electioneering because you guys are are, are the masters at it. But I think I think a, a a clarity of purpose and a clarity of message and understanding that you need both of those key ingredients. You need to see a movement away from the Conservative Party nationally, as well as uh, a, a targeting of of places that where where progressive votes are, are 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 most aligned. That's where that's that's the that's the route to getting those twenty five. To 30 seats to, to get back into in, into the game in a big way, but I think I think this, these are these are all things that that will have people in lived HQ nodding along and 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 and, know, and 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 they probably know already. But I think that's that's the key sort of takeaway, if you like, from from this. It, it can be done without you know the sort of progressive alliances that we that we sort of that, that are often talked about. If if and and voters are quite hospitable to a message of tactical voting, is, it would be the other thing that I would point out from the literature. I mean, quite a lot of people, I think, you know, over fifty percent, sixty percent of voters know where which party is best placed in their con, in their constituency, which part, party is in second place. So there are there are real prospects for increasing tactical voting, given the given the current and given the current state of play in British politics, to to capitalise potentially on that anti
0: government sentiment for Lib Dems. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Alan. Absolutely fascinating. I'll also include in the show notes, a link to some research from others that I highlighted recently about looking at yeah, how much knowledge people have of the tactical situation in their constituency, because I think the main lesson to draw from both that research and what you've just said, Alan, is that there's going to be a lot more to bar charts in future, which is always <laughs> a good note on which to wrap up a conversation. So thank you so much for your time, Alan. Listeners can find Alan on Twitter at uh, D-R-A-L-A-N-W-A-G-E-R. That's Dr. Alan Wager. Myself at Mark Pack and this podcast at Bar Chart Podcast. And do look out in the show notes for the link to the pamphlet uh, that Alan and colleagues authored and also the couple of other things I've mentioned during the show. And if you like listening, please do tell others about this podcast. Maybe suggest they listen to it while they're out delivering some leaflets with bar Chart <laughs> on it. And do give it a rating or a review in your favourite podcast app. Thank you, everyone, for listening.